you guys, we are excited about Summer in the Scriptures. Here we are again, fifth year in a row. We're going to spend the summer reading, getting in the Scriptures and reading through a reading program together, a reading plan where we can explore some of God's Word, be on the same uh, page. Pull out one of these that's in the, in the uh, church uh, seats in front of you, the pews in front of you, the seat backs, whatever they're called. Uh, we hope you're going to grab one of these. These are PDF as well, attached to our Friday uh, uh, email email. Uh, uh, weekly announcements that you can get. And uh, so you can have that in your phone and read along. So what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, starting tomorrow morning. So here we go tomorrow morning. We're going to read Genesis 1 through 3. And we're going to do selected readings throughout the Bible from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. But we can't do the whole thing in these 10 weeks, 11 weeks. But we're going to be do selected readings. And then we'll all be on the same page. And then what's going to happen is that we're going to be, when we come here, after that that week's readings, the sermon will be in one of the passages that we read together. And so we'll be able to get, like, do a deep dive into one of the passages. And so this is super fun for people to, who haven't read through the whole uh, the scriptures before or uh, it, are fresh to the Bible. We really want you to be a part of this. Oh, by the way, what's going to be fun about this when, we're, when we preach through is that we're going to have this little segment. We'll give you a coffee card or some prize to speak out loud. But just before we start preaching, uh, we're going to have this this feature called, wait, what? Which is a time for you to have said, I've never noticed that before in my Bible reading. So like for you to make notes in your Bible and put a question mark or even write, what, wait, what in your Bible, like, and bring that. And we want to go, what did you notice that you've never seen before? Or what was really fascinating to you in that scripture? And so it's just, we just want you to dig in. We want you to dig in and think that's cool. That's amazing. What was that story about? And so we'll do wait, what? And then at the end of all of our sermons, we're also going to have a time that's called a feature that's called, so now I'm wondering which is a Q&A time. So you can bring your Q&A for that text that was preached on, for anything that you read, and uh, we'll shorten our sermons and we'll do some, some Q&A at the end of our, of our preaching. We're trying to get you just to dig in together. Can you tell? That's what we're doing. It's just totally not, we can't hide it at all. We just want everybody to dig in and interact with the scriptures because that's what's really fun. And, um, and by the way, some of you last week signed up for one of these fun Bibles, these study Bibles, these big giant honkers that are giant because it's a, it's a graduate degree in a book. And um, so we signed up, oh, look, there's color on every page. Have we told you that? So fun. There's color, there's like, there's, you learn tons. So did you, did you email me? I said, if you emailed me, we'd give you one of these. And, uh, and so many of you did. They're up here afterward. So some of you are like, really? Dang it. I forgot to email you right now. Who wanted? Yes, right there. This is for you. This is my gift to you. You're very welcome. Gil love. She got her Bible. That's free Bible. That's so fun. So um, you, if, you, uh, if, you did, if you didn't do that and you'd like, like one of those study Bibles, come, come up and see me afterward. And I've got some, I might have some extras. Okay. We want to get you those Bibles. Those aren't the Bibles you carry on the bus. They're too big, but you can keep it at home and study. All right. So this is the summer in the scriptures. This is what we're doing. And uh, we're going to be reading together. And this, uh, as we prepare for it, I just wanted one more sort of intro into the experience of being in God's word. And I called this uh, sermon, uh, Our Story and the story, our story and the story. You know, the reason we're reading, uh, the reason we called this overview of the Bible the story of God is because that's what the Bible is. It's the revelation of God to us about who he is. He reveals himself to us. He reveals who he is. He reveals 
who humankind uh, are. He reveals how to have a relationship with him. It's the story of God unfolding over time. And it's unfolding over history, from prehistory, which was the, the creation, and don't know when that all happened. But then as God started to reveal himself to this small group of people uh, called the Israelites, the Jewish people, and through them the prophets came and explained to them about God. And through them the Savior came as uh, Uh, Jesus was revealed and then the church was born and all of God's revelation the story of God is revealed in this scripture start to finish and um, so when we talk about this story of God we're really talking about the big picture we're talking about the meta narrative if you will it's the big story of everything that there is to know about the universe and God and and creation and salvation and a relationship with God. It's the big story. And then there's our story, which is the momentary story. That's the story that you're in right now. That's the story that you're experiencing. And you came to this story this day from your past and your mistakes and your parents and their mistakes. And you brought all of that into this thing. And the job that you have now and the amount of money that you have now and the, 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 the struggles that you have now and the joys that you have now, that's the smaller story. So that's our story, and then there's the bigger story. And here's the truth that I don't want you to miss, that our story is always to be understood. Uh, And look at this quote. I I, I want this truth to kind of sink in for you. Would you go there, Mark, for me? Our story is always to be understood and interpreted in light of and as a part of the bigger story, this story of God. Our little story is always going to be interpreted and understood rightly if we understand it in the context of the fact that God is and that he's good and that he's for you. That's the big story. In fact, we cannot understand our lives. We cannot understand what we're facing. We cannot understand what we're feeling. We cannot understand the state of the world if we don't interpret our smaller stories, what we're experiencing right now, in light of the bigger story. In fact, it's hopelessness beyond description, in my opinion. Think about the small stories in your life. It's the, in little and big ways, in little and medium-sized ways, your small story has to be interpreted by the big story. I mean, you know, one of the things that we carry around is our story of origin, our family of origin, and then what we received and didn't receive in our family of origin. Like, that's part of our experience, our story, and we have to understand that in light of the bigger story that God is, and that he's good, and that he's for you. So God may, in fact, have given you this amazing family of origin, and you're like, great, because he knew this is what I needed to strengthen me and give me the tools, and thanks be to God for my family of origin. Or you may have been in a family of origin that was totally a struggle from start to finish, and you're still carrying the wounds, and as Ben Kern says, you took your college fund and just put it into therapy. It was better spent. And that's, what do you do with that small story? We have to interpret it in light of this bigger story, that even though that was your experience and that was your struggles, God is still with you and for you and brings healing and, and, right, and can help you thrive. Like that's the hope is this bigger story. So you get where I'm going with this? Our small stories have to be interpreted in light of and as part of this larger story or how do we explain what life's about and how we're doing and what we're going to do. It, it is absolutely difficult, uh, impossible, in my opinion, to get out of hopelessness without interpreting it by this larger story. 
And it may not be the family of origin, it may be the small details, it may be the actual minute, really small story, the story of your weekend. My weekend was filled with everything in my house breaking. You, have you had one of those weekends? So frustrating. Everything in my house breaking, not being able to fix it myself, then that's a challenge to my masculinity. Now I'm over the deep end. I'm mowing my lawn, my wheel cracks and falls off, just breaks off on the lawnmower. I had to mow the rest of the lawn on three wheels like this, holding it up. Super safe. Don't try that at home, kids. This thwarting that goes on sometimes in our lives. It's like, what do you do with even those days? Like, why is everything against me? We interpret that in part of the bigger story. That apparently God knew that I could use some challenges to reach out and trust him, right? I tell you what part of it was. Part of it was the money thing, right? How come everything's breaking? I'd rather spend my money on fun things. But now I'm fixing stuff all the time because I can't fix it myself because my dad didn't teach me how to do it. Now I'm back in therapy. All my, you know, right? <laughs> we got a meta narrative and we got our small stories. And the only way for us to live, friends, is to understand our small stories in the context of the big story. Well, why are we saying all that? Because the big story is revealed to us in the word of God. And so we're going to have to spend our lives in the discipline and the intentionality of getting into the bigger story so that we know where to put everything that we're facing. We know how to understand life as it's facing us. And so the, the, uh, the, our story is part of the bigger story. So here's what I want to do. I want us to then talk about, all right, well, how do we end up um, rehearsing and reminding and returning to these big truths? Um, it's super fun to remind one another. It's super fun to be reminded of these big truths, the meta narrative that God is, and he's for us, and he's good. That just changes, that just changes our dynamic immediately. I remember when our kids were little, I would um, uh, rock Anna and Tommy and Brooke and Emily. I would rock them and give, give them the bottle. We had this game we used to play where I'd say, who loves you? Do you remember this, Anna? So who loves you? And they would go like, they'd be like, they the bottle and they knew the answer. It was a game. They'd know the answer. They'd be like, daddy. I'm like, yeah, and who else? I'm trying to introduce them to the big story. The story was Jesus loves you, right? This daddy, yeah, who else? Mommy, yeah, who else? Who loves you? Baby Tommy, yeah, baby loves you. That's right. Who else? And the final answer was Jesus. I was whispering into their lives the big story all the time. This is what you got to remember about this narrative. Otherwise, as you grow up, you won't have anywhere to put all the things that happen in your little story. The favorite one I heard about is Eugene Peterson, who just passed away. He was a theologian, a writer, a pastor. He actually did the translation called The Message. Uh, he, that was his translation. This is a photo of him. This is what his son Leif said that he whispered into his ear every single day of his life growing up. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after your heart. And he's relentless. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great truth? Man, what would that do to our understanding, our narrative, our smaller stories if we understood every single day growing up, God, is, God loves you, he's on your side, he's coming after your heart, and he's relentless. So this kind of reminder, remembering, is at the root of our desire to be disciplined and to get into the word. And so I want to talk about how is it that we posture ourselves and how will we respond as we get into this story and understand the bigger picture. 
How do we respond? How do we posture ourselves to receive the big story as part of our story? How do we bring our small stories to the big story? So I'm gonna, I am gonna blaze us through. Everybody grab a Bible. We're gonna do three passages of scripture. That is three sermons, but I'm gonna finish it up in the next 25 minutes, all right? It's, and we are gonna look at people bringing their stories and then encountering the word of God and how they responded to it. And so uh, three stories of how we're reminded of this truth of the bigger story and how we respond. And the first one I want you to find is going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You're like, what? 2 Chronicles? Where in the world? Uh, grab the Bibles underneath the, the, the seats in front of you, and you can turn to the table of contents. Somebody give me a page number from those Bibles. 461, okay, is uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Uh, 2 Chronicles 34. This is about King Josiah. You're like, I know, I've been in the middle of the Bible and read all about the kings, and I'm super lost. Like, I never know what's going on. I know. Did you know that in this Bible, there's color on every page, and one of the colorful pages is a timeline, literally, of all the kings in the Bible and all the things that they did. Is this, is this in the cool Bible? Is this, you see why I give this Bible away? Who didn't sign up for one and wants this one I have in my hand right now? Oh my gosh, I totally, there were so many hands. Okay, this is the best $34 I've spent in a long time. There you go. It's our gift to you. I didn't spend it. The church bought it for you. Okay. Yeah. So King Josiah is one of the kings. Oh, I didn't turn to it. Hang on. Let me get with you. Second Chronicles 34. So King Josiah, let's look at the first few verses, and then I'm going to jump down a little bit to uh, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. What? Yeah, I know. Wait, What? You see what I'm talking about? That will win you a coffee card next week, okay? If you go, wait, what? Well, how, what? Why was he eight? Okay, yeah, that's what we want you to, to kind of read and, and, uh, and ask questions about and look at. So he was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And it goes on. Jump over to, um, to verse 14 of the same text. Verse 14, chapter 34. You with me? Fallen? While they were bringing out the might, see, here's what's happening. The, the, he's remodeling the temple. He became king when he was eight. When he was 16, his heart got inclined to the Lord. When he was 20, he started to purge Israel of all of the false idols and, and help everybody live according to what God had for them to, to do. And then when he was 26, he ended up remodeling the temple. And he took all the money that everybody had given it because the temple had fallen into disrepair because their whole religious life had gone to pot. And so he starts remodeling the temple. And then this is what happens. So they came and they brought out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord. And Hilkiah the priest, you with me in verse 14? found the book of the law that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Do you get what's happening? They haven't been reading it. This is his stories. They hadn't been reading the book of the law. This is 622 BC. And this is where we are in history. Oh man, I wish you had a timeline. I wish you had one of those Bibles. This is so cool. And nobody in his lineage, friends, had been following the Lord. Nobody had been faithful. The temple had been in disrepair. The religion had been in disrepair. They hadn't been teaching the truth of God. They hadn't been teaching the meta narrative. They hadn't been teaching the big story. 
And they were all lost in it. In fact, it had been since his great-grandfather Hezekiah, since there had been somebody who had been inclined toward God. 46 years since his grandpa, who was a great-grandpa, was godly. But 46 years is a long time. He was eight when he became king. Like he had no memory of anybody in his family line who had led in a godly way or had lived in a godly way. Can some of you resonate with that? So this was his story. So they don't have the word. While they're going to get the money in order to remodel the temple, they're in a back storage room and somewhere they found the scroll and verse 15, Hilkiah says, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan, verse 16, took the book to the king and reported it to him. Your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. He's like, king, hey, listen, we paid money out of that was in the temple. We've entrusted it to supervisors and workers. In other words, they're going to start the remodel project. And then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. And Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. He just sort of says, oh, and by the way, it's sort of like, you have a remodel project, and the guy's like, hey, listen, I got a demo coming here, and the counters are going to be delivered. And oh, by the way, we found a million dollars in your wall. He's just like, by the way, here's a thing. Verse 19, and when the king, oh, okay, where, where was I? What, what, what verse am I at? 16, then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing, oh, I said that. 17, they've paid money out that was in the temple of the Lord. And have entrusted the supervisors and workers. Did I give you that already? Yeah. So he read it then. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I don't know if I said that. He read it in the presence of the king. Now the word of God's now going out at the end of verse 18. Verse 19. When the king heard the words, he tore his robes. And he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest and, and, and these other guys. He said to the secretary and the king's attendant, verse 21, go and inquire of the Lord for me and the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found out. So his story, here's what his story is. His story was that nobody in his line had been living in a godly way. And he, when he was 16 years old, allowed God to start the spirit of God to capture his heart. And he inclined himself toward God at 16. And he said, even at 16, this is before he even read the word, at 16, he's like, Amen. Nobody in my generation has lived as a godly man. And he decides to interrupt the generational curse of men who have not submitted their lives to God and goes, not me. I'm going to start living for him. Does that inspire you, by the way? You may relate to that story. Your story may be that nobody in your lineage had aligned themselves with the truth of God. Nobody in their lineage had been devoted to, to, to God. Nobody had led well. Nobody had lived well. And even at a young age, students, at 16, he's like, not me. I'm going to be God's man. And then, that's the beginning of his story, and then he interrupts this generational sin and says, I'm going to do it. And he starts to go out and be God's king as best as he can understand it. And then he finds the book. So his story is, I'm going to be God's man, even though nobody else is. And he brings that story, and as the word it unfolds in front of him, I want to talk about his response. Two words. His response is of, of renewal and recommitment. 
Renewal and recommitment. And it starts by even a third R I could give you. It starts with repentance. Verse 19, we read that he tore his robes. What does he tear his robes mean? What is that? Why does that always happen in scriptures? They would tear their robes when something would happen. It's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of, of, of godly sorrow. But what, and I, I wonder like, but why tear your robes? It's like, that was a perfectly good shirt. Like buttons flying off everywhere. Why would you do that? I think it's related to this idea of, uh, like Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Like I bring nothing to this table. It's a humility piece. It's like, oh, look at this truth. Look at this meta-narrative. How have we been living this small story? Nobody's been faithful to God. And now as I read it, I'm like, oh, God. And look what he does then. He goes on in verse 21. He seeks the Lord. So first he goes, what do we live in this small story for? Verse 21, he says, go inquire of the Lord. Like, I got to know what this word means. Hey, man, I'm hoping that some of you position yourselves this summer to go, oh, God, I've been living a small story. I got to inquire of you and find out what you mean. I got to find out, I got to understand this word of God that we found. And then in the text, you keep going. Look at verse 31 all the way down toward the end of the chapter. Now let's start at verse 29. You with me? Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 29. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing, here goes the meta narrative. it's going out. The story of God's going out. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Verse 31, the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. What covenant? Next words, to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. When we posture ourselves before the story of God with our little small story, our response becomes one of repentance and recommitment to that relationship. That's what returning to the covenant means. He goes, nobody has said, God, I will be your man, heart and soul. I'll be all under your story. They've all lived as they desired and didn't submit themselves to God's truth. I hope we posture ourselves, friends. It is totally appropriate for us to recommit and renew ourselves to this relationship with God as we come under the story of God. That's what it does. That's what it calls us to. And as we read God's big story, we go, what? Has everybody in my family been doing? What has everybody else in the world been doing? This is the truth. I commit myself to you, God. I recommit myself to you. Friends, that doesn't have to be at camp every year, students. That doesn't have to be when the crisis hits. When we come under the meta-narrative, the story of God, the truth is revealed in God's word like he did. When the word got read, they go, We're recommitting ourselves to this relationship. This is what defines me. That's how we posture ourselves as we come to the big story. Renewal and recommitment. I want to do one more, at least, maybe two. Second, I want you to look with me at Ezra the priest. That's in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah 8. I'm going to look on our reading plan while you're turning to see if we're going to read Nehemiah 8. No, perfect. You get to read it today. 
Nehemiah chapter 8. Page number? 483? Okay. 483, Nehemiah chapter 8. This is about Ezra, who was a priest. And this is happening in, uh, not in 622, but in 444 BC. So this is 180 years later, something like that, in the storyline. I wish you had, you know what would be awesome? A multicolored like time chart. That'd be awesome. So this is Ezra's story. I want to read uh, the first six verses uh, as part of his story. First six verses of chapter eight. When the seventh month had come, the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Here's the story. The story is, friends, and this is, well, let me, let me finish. Should I, let me finish. So the, on the first day of the seventh month, verse two, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, meaning everybody who could speak the language. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book. You see how they're submitting themselves to the truth, to the big story? Verse four, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for this occasion. Beside him on his right stood a bunch of people with big names. Verse five, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Why? What was happening as they responded to this hearing of the big story, the meta narrative? See, in history, what had happened was, this is after the story that we read, that after Josiah, everybody, Josiah had these reforms in Israel and people followed God. But after that, they ended up not following God and an enemy swept in, the Babylonians, and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed their temple and effectively destroyed their way of life and their way of worshiping God and destroyed their scrolls and all of that stuff and exiled all those people to Babylon or much, many of those people to Babylon. So they were exiled. That happened in 586. They were there 70 years. They came back 500-ish, right? And then in addition to that, there was an entirely other set of like 72 more years where they came back in the land. They started rebuilding the temple and it wasn't that great. And people were like, well, that's that temple compared to the one that got destroyed. And they were sad. And then there were enemies among them and there were enemies outside of them and they couldn't build the wall to protect the, the city. It was this whole, here's the point. Their story, you guys, was it was 142 years of the message of, dang it, what has happened? Where is God? Where is our dream? Where is our identity? What is going on here that's not working out the way it was promised to work out? We thought we were his chosen people. We thought we had a place that we could call his, the home of, of Yahweh, of God. And it's all been shot to smithereens. 142 years and they hadn't been reading the word. They hadn't been understanding the whole truth. They had just been struggling and, um, and stumbling and it wasn't working out. So finally, they're like 142 years of this. They're like, all right, listen, Ezra, go find the word. We need the bigger picture. We need, we need, we need to be steeped in the big story. Go find the word. And he reads it, and then this is what happens. So their story is 
Man, where's the dream? But their response becomes, when they start hearing the truth of God, their response becomes two words, worship and weeping. This is how we posture ourselves when we come to the, this story. Not only renewal and recommitment, but we posture ourselves with worship and weeping. Look at verse 5 and 6 again of chapter 8 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8, 5. Ezra opened the book. The people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, they all stood up. They were like, tell us, God. Tell us the truth. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. You know what amen means? It means so be it. May that be. As they heard the big story informing all of their brokenness, all of their longing, all of their, they, they were, God, may that be. May that be true about us. May that be how we live. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They responded in worship. And then it says they responded in weeping. Look at verse 7. The Levites and all those Levite names that instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. So it was like these Levites were going around while they were all there hearing about God's truth. They were around going, do you understand what this means? And they're having Bible study and they're teaching and they're, they're gathering people and they're having conversation. And then verse eight, and they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that all the people could understand what has been said. Friends, when we continue to gather and instruct one another and make it clear and understand the big story, transformation happens. And this is what's happening with them. And then look what it says, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And he goes on to say, do not grieve. This day is holy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. People had been weeping. Why? Why were they weeping? They were weeping because they realized all that they had missed out on. All the years that had gone before them. All of the ways in which they had missed God's plan for their lives. And they were remorseful for the mistakes that they had made, that their ancestors had made, and for the years the locust had eaten, to coin a phrase that another prophet talked about. We missed out on all of that stuff. And so they wept longing for something greater. Which is why then the leader said, guess what? You can mourn what's been lost, but you don't have to stay in mourning because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can be strengthened in joy. Why? Because now it says in the text, because you understand the meaning of these words. The truth that comes to us brings us joy because remember the meta narrative? God is, and He's good, and He's for us. And so even though we've lost all of these years, we now can receive the good news that God is in our story. You guys, we posture ourselves. It is such a good response to come to the word in this place of worship and weeping and celebration and joy. Because no matter what we've missed, no matter where we haven't been, we can now enter into the story of God as it's revealed to us in this scriptures on, that, on this day. And so I'm hoping that as you Get into the scriptures this summer. Not only will there be renewal and recommitment, there'll be worship and weeping, and then the joy that comes out of that as well. I got one more. I want to do one more. Let's look at, at, uh, at Luke chapter 24. 
Luke 24 in the New Testament, this is after Jesus' resurrection. Luke 24, who has a page number? 1060, thank you. 1060. Ten sixty is a story about two disciples on the way to a, a place called Emmaus. So you may know this passage about on the road to Emmaus. This is after Jesus had written. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, verse 24, I'm um, sorry, chapter 24, you see just above it, it says Jesus has risen, right? So verse 1 is talking about the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women went to the tomb and he was empty. This is the resurrection story. But if you look ahead, so this is on the same day, verse 13 Now that same day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus. Remember now, this is the same day that Jesus was raised from the dead. The women went to the tomb. They found it empty, and they were like, what is happening right now? They proclaimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. These disciples had just heard of it, as we'll see. That same day, that resurrection day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. I'm in verse 13. It was seven miles from Jerusalem. I wish you could see a map. You know what would be great is a cool color map about where all this stuff is. That'd be awesome. All right, so where was I? About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. (laughs) Come on, that is awesome. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, now look at these words, their faces downcast, right? This is the revealing of their story, their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to bring freedom to Israel, to redeem Israel. And then they go on to say, and then somebody stole his body, and we don't know which way is up. Friends, their story, their faces downcast, was that their hope had been demolished. They had confusion and disappointment and discouragement and loss of heart. This is what we hoped Jesus would be. That's their story. And as they were developing an understanding of it, they couldn't overcome this discouragement. If we're truthful, some of our fire has gone out in our hearts our hope that Jesus is who we had hoped he would be and what he would do in our lives. We can relate to this small story. Nothing looks like Jesus was who they had hoped that he would be at that point. They didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't get it. All they knew was that he was, gone, he was dead and now he was gone. That's their story. But look what happens to the story in the story. Go back to where I was reading. Verse 22, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb very early, didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, but you see, they don't believe in it yet, right? They don't understand that. What would that mean? They didn't get that. 
Then some of our companions, verse 24, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Verse 25, and Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And watch, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus brought the meta-narrative. He brought the big story to their limited understanding and their discouragement. You see it? He's like, let me explain. It's all about me. There's this incredible story in here, and it's about me. And so as they were going further, as they approached the village, verse 28, Jesus continued on as if he was going to keep going, but they were like, "Um, this is amazing, this stuff you're teaching. We need more explanation of this. You come stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So we went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Wait, what? This is awesome. What an incredible story. Poof. They asked each other, oh, look what they said in the text. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? When he opened up the scriptures to us, when he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us. Friends, when we open up the truth, when we open up the scriptures, this is, our, this is what happens. This is our response. There's heartburn and there's hope. Were our hearts not burning within us? In other words, weren't our hearts just set alive again? Didn't we feel the spark come in? Didn't we feel hope arising? Didn't we feel that the discouragement was lifting? I'm going to tell you right now that as we come into the word and we read together the whole story of God, that story informs us and rekindles in our hearts the longing that Jesus is who we dreamt that he would be. Friends, we cannot forget. We have to keep returning, reminding that this is the story. And so we're going to be in it all together. And if we posture ourselves with the response of renewal and recommitment and worship and weeping and our hearts being willing to be set ablaze to restore our hope, we'll have a transformative summer because that's how God's word is designed to impact us if we set about that kind of posture.